This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. everybody, it's John Hall, the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, and I have a hard time believing that it's taken almost a year for me to utilize the Jersey City, New Jersey home office to welcome our first guest uh, here to New Jersey, where the writing magic happens uh, almost daily, sometimes weekly. And for that, I asked a guy to cross two rivers to get here, all the way from, I guess you came from Brooklyn, but your brewery's in Queens... Came from LIC, Long Island City today. Uh, Chris Kuzme. Hello. Fifth Hammer Brewing, <laughs> the former president and president emeritus of the New York City Homebrewers Guild and the Malted Barley Appreciation Society. For all of you homebrewers out there who listen to other podcasts, but why would you? Uh, you <laughs> might also recognize Chris from Ferment About It, a podcast that he does on the Heritage Radio Network with his wife, Mary Azette. Yes, she's lovely. Thanks for being here in Jersey City. So, Chris, the brewery's been open for about a year now, Fifth Hammer. Less than that. We're ten and a half months young. Okay, so coming up on a year. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have an extensive homebrewing background, though. And one of the things that I've been, been, been struck about, and, and you have worked at other breweries before. You were at uh, 508, which was a short-lived but much-loved brewery in Manhattan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Are you, you're gritting your teeth as no, I say no, no, that. No, 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 I love it. 508 Gastro Brewery. Gastro Brewery. Uh, I loved it there. It was awesome. It was that way. I mean, especially... On topic, like that was started by a homebrewer, not me, uh, and that was a very Frankenbury system. So, like as far as like a stepping stone into into this world, that was a really awesome amalgamation of doing great things in small spaces. That was a really really cool place, and a place where if you're brewing so, on such a small scale for a lot amount of people, you have to brew all the time. So that is not I'm not gritting my teeth. I I got gritty there and really got you know my discovered this as a vocation brewing over and over and over and over like probably 170 different types of beers there in the basement. So, all right, so you, you sort of spoiled it, because I was going to say, like, how small... <laughs> I'm excited about it. Uh, like, how small a system and how small a space? Because I, I, I toured yeah. this brewery, and, and you and I were intimate, uh, <laughs> just standing there next to each other because of there's yeah. no other floor space. Yeah. I, so it was roughly 100 square feet in the basement of this restaurant in Soho. Uh, and that I was, was what, like... Five blocks up from the entrance to the Holland Tunnel, right, and one yeah. and one and a half blocks away from the uh, uh, the Hudson River. Yeah, the West Side and Highway so I Hudson took it River, over yeah. just after we had a, a horrendous storm, uh, Sandy, and uh, that whole that whole brewery, its fermenters and everything else, were kind of floating around in the East River water uh, when I came to it, and I had to basically take it apart and put it all back together and clean it up to 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 get, which was great because like I mean, I was, that's humbling, right? It's, it was yeah. yeah, it was awesome, and also it was helped me really learn the system because I, I knew where I was, why and where I was putting everything back together with. That's a benefit, right, the, of, of knowing your equipment. I, when I talk to brewers who jump jobs uh, and go from, or started a new brewery or something, like, you're, a lot of home brewers uh, or a lot of brewers who have gone pro talk lovingly of their first system because they were mm-hmm. so intimate with it yeah. uh, because they know it uh, so well. Uh, but when you jump into a place where you don't know the system and you're learning the, the the tricks and the intricacies and all of that like there there is a there is a steeper learning curve that comes right and I, even from home brewing where you know your own rig to sure. something else even if it is a small system like what you were working on it for sure 508 gastro brewery gastro brewery and so that that's true there's a learning curve on Delver every system every night. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's true right uh, it, I spent a lot of time there. yeah <laughs> oh boy you do <laughs> uh, I mean, it doesn't matter, even if you're homebrewing, going from one setup to another setup, there's a learning curve on every setup and, and the methods that you're you're dealing with, just size of vessels and like getting something from concept to glass. You might have been brewing your entire life, but you're using a new system. You're going to have different uh, extraction or just different efficiencies and different different things going on. And I think it takes a second in any system uh, to, to, to hop over. And that's why I don't, I mean, I think I really reserve the word brewmaster or the title brewmaster for people who kind of can hop into anything and kind of really really hit their marks and like you know you need like 30 years of brewing on lots of different things before i before i would even you know use that term for anybody well there's also course classifications yeah and and continuing education and all that as well but do you see that as a word that gets thrown around too much yes 
But I realize that's also just particular to me or, or me and a few others that we just really hold the, that title in, in high esteem. Um, but I mean, anybody can, can brew if you have the money to buy a license to do it and to mm-hmm. brew professionally. And that's one kind of thing that's kind of silly out there. And it's one reason why we have seen a little bit of inconsistency by way of quality over the years, although, although it's much better now than it, than it has been in, you know, when, when, when we kind of boomed a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, because the information is out there and the, and the consumer standards have gotten higher. So everybody's brewing to, uh, to higher standards but that they're putting on them, themselves as well as the, as, as well as the audience. I think it's important, and and of course the education is is key in all of this. But it, so as as much as people can demand better pints because they know what better beer should taste like and they know what flaws and and, and defects are, uh, it's it's been interesting because I've heard the word brewmaster just thrown around casually, which it, which it really shouldn't. Um, I agree. So do you find yourself like when people show up at your brewery now and they say, oh, you're the brewmaster, right? And they mean it as a compliment. Like they right. mean it as in, in earnest. Um, I do correct them. You I say, do. no, I'm, I'm the brewer, but I am head of this house. Like I say that I, I always try and say that I, I reserve that for people I respect like out there in the world that have been brewing far longer than me and I am not worthy. Uh, but I do say, yes, I'm in charge of the recipes if that's what you mean. Or like, you know, this is my house and I'm, you know, uh, we work together here. And even I'm trying to set up a thing at Fifth Hammer where it's not a me thing, it's a we thing. I want it to be like, I mean, yes, I started it, but I have a great co-brewer right now who's who, uh, named Brett Taylor who's going to be starting his own his own thing as well at some point, Wild East. He's looking forward to that. But I consider him my co-brewer, not my brewer's assistant or not my, mm-hmm. you know, I, we talk about recipes and talk about what to go, go with next. And I'm, I'm glad to be at that stage, even just 10 months in, to where we can kind of finally have a team. I mean, I was doing everything until Brett came along like two months ago. No, three months ago now, I guess. And now he's already eyeing the exit? No, no, he was eyeing the exit in the beginning okay. uh, of, of this, too, because I didn't have full-time work, necessarily. Uh, he had left his former position because they, they knew he would start eyeing his own thing, and, like, I know how long it takes to open a brewery in New York City, yeah. and I was like, well, you know, if we hire him, especially because he only want, only needs some part-time, he needs time to think about opening his own thing, you know, it's perfect. He's a perfect candidate. He went to American Brewers Guild, just like I did uh, in Vermont, um, so he has the, the brewing science tech and engineering knowledge there. Uh, he's been brewing in the basement. We have a we have a basement background together, sort of. Like he was brewing <laughs> in the basement at Keg and Lantern uh, and on a small system at, at uh, Strong Rope before that. Um, both Brooklyn breweries. Yeah, yeah, both Brooklyn breweries. And he's looking to open a place pretty much exactly the size as me in Brooklyn okay. on the same equipment as this. So it was perfect for him. He gets some training. Everybody everybody wins here. I get some time to be able to do, do things and, and expand the bandwidth. I think that attitude is important. We're talking in an era right now where there are lawsuits being batted around by brewers who are angry that uh, brewers that they once employed went someplace else. Uh, there are uh, certain uh, breweries that are asking folks to sign non-competes uh, when they when they sign up. Uh, and as the, the, the industry continues to grow and even becomes a little bit more consolidated where people are fighting for taproom dollars and shelf space and tap handles and everything, people are starting to hold things a little closer to the best. And the, the thing that I like about you guys and, and you personally is, I mean, you, you are so affable when it comes to talking about what you do and, and sharing what you do. And, and I wonder how much of that is still because I mean, you, you still think of yourself as a home brewer in a lot of ways, right? Yes and no. Okay. I, I mean, yes. And so I'm, I'm definitely trying to preserve the attitude that I had home brewing. And uh, I would, the only reason I don't consider the, myself the, a home brewer is because I'm not actively home brewing right. anymore. But the attitude but the, of a home brewer, I'm sorry, that, without that's a, a better way of, yeah. yes. I mean, everything, you know, I don't ever want to lose sight of why I love brewing and the art of Zimmergy and that that all started at the homebrew level and, and it is based in a playfulness and a creativity and perpetuity kind of kind of way and uh and that's what i'm trying to bring to our fifth hammer uh, uh just ideology and and, and what we're putting out is uh is that creativity and perpetuity i'm a promiscuous drinker and therefore a <laughs> promiscuous brewer i brew a lot of different styles because i'm also coming from that brew pub background from 508 where we only served our own beer. Gastro uh, brewery. Gastro, oh, sorry, yep, five oh gastro brewery. <laughs> uh, where we only served our own beer, but only had six lines, so I yeah. had to have, you know, I had to make sure I had something for everybody there. Some people went there for the food, some people went for the beer, and they either stayed for either or. Um, and I had six lines, and I, usually I kind of treated that with like three for them, three for me, sort of, and those three were very playful and collaborations and kind of wacky ingredients or not, or, but all with the 
standard of, of quaffable quaffability is that a word sure it is you're an now. editor okay yeah, no, if, you, if you say it it's uh, <laughs> quaffability I mean I have, I have to quote you accurately <laughs> just great so, yeah. great drinking beers that, that you know I, I follow I follow Garrett Oliver's you know philosophy about beer where the first sip of your first or, your, or the last sip of your fourth beer should be as good as the first sip of your first beer and those are the kind of beers I want to make that are drinkable like that even if I am using some crazy crazy ingredients or whatever it is I want them drinkable like that and not your two sip one hit wonders Let's talk a little bit about the brewery. Uh, what happened to the first four hammers? The first four hammers, they're so beautiful and harmonious with one another. Uh, we, we discarded them, unlike Pythagoras, who discarded the fifth hammer. So fifth hammer is the name of the brewery, and uh, it's based off of a story of Pythagoras. Pythagoras uh, is credited for a lot of things. He is credited, but among them, is he's credited for discovering the mathematical relationship between musical notes. And the story goes he got into this because he was walking by a blacksmith or a forge, and he heard this sound. He's like, what is that sound? It's beautiful. It's amazing. i gotta got to know what that is. He went inside the inside the forge, the blacksmith, uh, and these hammers were hammering on an anvil. Four of the hammers were beautiful, harmonious with one another, and the fifth hammer was discordant or outside the realms of conventional harmony. So fifth hammer to us represents individuality and not, not needing to conform to any, any norms. doesn't mean we make all wacky beers, because every hammer has its other three hammers to be beautiful with. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. So I was looking at your, at your tap list, and in addition to... Uh, the beers of the moment, the beers of the day, the uh, the haze that uh, that, mm-hmm. that that people like. Um, you have I like some, them too. You I'm have something person. called a spicy American brown, a uh, a summer stout, a coconut summer stout, mm-hmm. um, and then you have a brute IPA on, which I want to talk to you about yeah. uh, after we talk about these others as as well. But yeah, you know, like a spicy American brown. Yeah, <laughs> what? It's great for summer. <laughs> uh, I don't know. In in hot weather, like if you eat a chili pepper. Uh, you know, can get those endorphins going and, and uh, you know, a little bit of sweat can sometimes cool you off. Um, I made a traditional American brown, not too traditional, like a hoppy American brown. Uh, it's got notes of chocolate and uh, I, I used you know, a bag of chocolate malt, a bag of, bag of uh, a brown malt, some, some uh, Simpsons naked oats on top of a Maris Otter base um, with uh, American ale, no, English ale yeast, and then op with Chinook and Simcoe. Uh, and, and then dry hopped again with Chinook and Simcoe. So you have that pine and citrus kind of thing that, that's really cool. And then we found this pepper uh, at the Food Bazaar, which is one of my favorite uh, grocery stores. Me and Mary love this grocery store. Well, Mary hipped me to it, of course, as she yeah, does. As she yeah, does, she does. Yeah. <laughs> she finds these crazy, crazy things. And uh, But we're in New York City and lucky to have it. Uh, they have so many different peppers, but this pepper is called the Puya pepper from, from Mexico, and seco means dried. So we took Puya seco peppers, and we basically dry hopped this beer after dry hopping it with the, with, the, uh, with the actual hops. The flesh of the Puya pepper has like this kind of dark cherry raisin thing that's really cool and dances with the malts, but also kind of like tames a little bit of that uh, and, and dances with the citrus and, and, uh, and uh, pine, yeah. whereas like the, the heat of the pepper itself like kind of doubles down on those those bright aspects of the hops and it's really hip uh i'd be remiss not to mention that both this and the cocoa cocoa stout summer stout that you have this is part of our fun tank series so going back to this homebrew attitude that we have and that we play with over there one thing i learned at 508 gastro brewery also in order to keep diversity there I would often make a single beer, and then in the keg, I would dose it with uh, with different, dose it or dry hop it with different spices, herbs, kind of kind of like getting two two beers for one. So, uh, a neighborhood brewery, fit, uh, Big Alice, yeah, uh, was expanding, and they were get they were a five barrel system. They're still a five barrel system, but they were getting rid of their five barrel tanks to switch out for fifteen barrel tanks when we were opening, and we bought one of these five-barrel tanks, which we, we adoringly call uh, our fun tank. So uh, in our fun tank, that's where we'll do some of this. So our regular brown ale, we took and threw it into this fun tank, and that's where we dry hopped the thing. So I have the, nor- the regular brown ale on tap. They're the same base beer, and in the fun tank, we put the Puya, Puya Seco peppers. And same thing for the summer stout and the coconut, coconut summer stout. In the fun tank, we threw, we threw a bunch of uh, toasted coconut. Well, Oops, sorry right. about that. No, you're fine. Uh, when you're thinking about the fun tank and you're thinking about some of these ingredients that, that come your way, um, do you think of a base beer first and then 
hey, it'd be fun to find a pepper or you know some sort of tropical fruit that will go along with it? Uh, or are you just walking the food bazaar, tasting things, looking for things, reading menus, and then saying, huh, I wonder how this will work in X? Or is, is, is it both ways? It's absolutely both ways. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's, you know, the construction of a beer from concept to glass sometimes starts with just a name or a word or some alliteration that you think is really funny. Okay, what beer is that? And then you go to that. I mean, then sometimes it's like, oh, I want this flavor. And like, okay, well, what's that flavor? And then, you know, where are we going with that? How do we, you know, then what are we going to call it? Yeah. And then sometimes, uh, you know, we're running out of beer. We're a professional business and I need to make two beers for one. <laughs> what what would make sense right now this time of year and all these other things? I didn't do that in either of these cases. Like we, we knew that we wanted a, a, a you know the summer stout. Um, but and what then, makes a stout a summer stout, by the way? In, in this case, for me, it's almost like a dark mild. It's a 3.8% stout. It's wonderfully crushable. It is bright. It's l- like thin-bodied. Um, but the roastiness comes out. You get this kind of coffee, coffee and chocolate uh, roastiness that, yeah. that, it, that really works. Um, but you have the 3.8%. Uh, percent and you've got a decent amount of you got a decent body on it from flaked barley and uh, it just it's it's cool I mean it's like it's a wonderfully drinking stout if you drink with your eyes uh, it'll surprise you because you're like oh I don't need anything that thick right now but it's actually wonderfully uh, dare I say quaffable again it's a it's a it's a lot of people's peeve that word quaffable right now is I it I think so I don't is know Twitter, I somebody, is, is somebody Twitter somebody, angry about it Twitter right is now? angry I don't want to hear the word quaffable anymore in don't the tell me about kids and breweries <laughs> yeah so, so, uh. Uh, but anyway <laughs> but yeah so sometimes sometimes I'm in the middle of brewing this beer like we're in the fermenter and yeah. I'm going down the line tasting things seeing making sure everything's cool and then an epiphany will happen and be like wow this would be really good with this and then then I'm already deciding okay do we need 15, a full 15 barrels or a full 30 barrels of this beer or can I spare five barrels to throw into the fun tank and go and ride with this and, and sometimes, sometimes like that and then I'm going to the food bazaar being okay what, you know, what, what am I going for on this one so you'll go to the food bazaar and you'll go and try to find stuff after you've made a beer sometimes. after you've tasted it off the tanks yes uh, you have a 15 barrel brew house yes uh, 30 barrel fermenters I'm guessing two 30 barrel fermenters yeah. two 15 barrel fermenters we did just order two more 30 barrel fermenters alright business a, is good then. yeah but, but you can do that though and you can run and try to find something that 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 will that will that will suit your needs I, I, to, to an yeah. extent. Like when we're talking about fruit purees, it gets very like sometimes it's too hard to to, to get for a five barrel thing. You know, sure. they don't always have the quantity that you need to express itself well. And when you're talking purees, though, uh, are you getting like from Oregon, from like the, those farms that everybody loves, or are you trying to find something closer to home, or are you trying to? Do it yourself. When I'm planning far ahead, yeah. or like I got at least a week ahead of time that I can yeah. deal with the, the shipment for that, then then I'm definitely getting from Oregon fruit purees or Greenwood Associates sure. uh, in, in Illinois. When it's just like, oh my god, I, this would be great with mango puree. Uh, let's go. Let's go to the food bazaar and see how many of those little fourteen ounce packets of Goya puree we can get <laughs> that we have to just like sanitize a cut down and, and then dump them in. And that has definitely happened on more than several occasions. And that, and those are great, like Goya, uh, La Fay, uh, and I. This is exact. This is straight from our homebrew playbook. Like we would, we would take basically one or two of these these fourteen ounce packets, frozen packets, after a beer was done, throw it into our into our corny keg with the puree, and uh, and have like this great fruited IPA or session session sour kind of thing directly with this. And those are great. Those are great products. Yeah. For for this kind of playfulness. And it does give you some flexibility with seasonality because we're recording this in uh, early August. This is airing in early August, and we're already seeing the pumpkin beers on uh, on, on offer. They've been uh, showing up for a while, and it's the complaint that everybody has every year of, you know, oh, it's showing up so much earlier. And there's the people who either are really excited by it, uh, or the people who say, you know, can we just have Labor Day first, please? And then <laughs> you know, all you pumpkin people can 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 go and have it. Um, but when you have something like you can make your standard summer stout because uh, you know like you're going to have to start making that you know, before summer. You know, or you right. have to start thinking about that or getting it on your schedule for when you want it to come out. So even if it's when you're pointing out in January, you can think about that. But with your fun tanks, you have the flexibility of capitalizing off of what's popular right now. You can now. call so audibles, if, exactly. Yeah, so in the same way that, like, I was talking with another brewer about this recently where, you know, they're always looking for trends, you know, uh, is our raspberry suddenly hot because the New York Times food section talked about it? Well, shit, let's get, 
yeah. Yeah. raspberries into yeah. this beer. And that's a bad example, but, but it's something along those lines. Um, you're assuming I, I do a lot of scheduling ahead of time, but I'm notoriously <laughs> guilty. I mean, I have to get it together, man, because things are bigger and a little bit more, more things that, that stake. I would assume that you would now they, that, yeah. Now, now, yeah, but yeah, because now we're brewing 15 to 30, 30 barrels at a time. Yeah. And at 508, you know, I was brewing two barrels at a time or like yielding a barrel and a half. And we would go through that pretty fast, but I had a lot more fermenters there. I had 11 fermenters. Here I have four fermenters, so I make a lot, but it's got to last a certain amount of time. And it does last a certain amount of time. I'm starting to go through it a little faster because we're busy. Um, but that sort of playfulness that I used to really grab onto as an improvising musician as well. I mean, I don't know if we're talking about that, but but well, there's a, there's a no. But I mean, you're but, a musician. But yeah. I know, but I'm talking about the <laughs> my parallel here with the <laughs> playfulness of, of spontaneity as an improviser. Uh, you know, is one thing I really loved. That it's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you play music, really? No, no, okay, no, 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 let's no. yeah. No, I'm just talking. <laughs> anyway. I'm, I, things are a little different now, so I have to be a little bit more ahead, but I'm notoriously guilty for like late August and early September having a bunch of these 3.8% things because the beginning of August in New York is like super hot and all yeah. I want to drink are these small beers. And so I'd start making them in early August, which is a little bit too late. You want to be drinking them while I'm, you know, I'm doing it. Hey, the shipping guy is here. So in addition to scheduling though, what are some of the other bigger things that you've seen going from being a full-time home brewer or being known as a home brewer and running a guild and uh, all, all of that to now running a, a, a pro shop? Because there's certain things that you can get away with as a home brewer that once you go pro seem like luxury, seem like sort of fun things yeah. uh, that no longer apply. Like, is, is there something else scheduling wise that, uh, or aside from scheduling that jumps to mind when I ask that? Uh, most immediately when we're talking about the fun tank and kind of extracting flavors and, and combining them with beers that we that we already have, one thing we're not allowed to do is use alcohol and make, or like hard alcohol, grain alcohol, and make extracts of them. Um, so for example, a very safe and fun way to get get like herbs and spices into your beer with control and not overdo it or get too vegetable or anything like else like that is to take some vodka or or strong grain alcohol the cheaper the better the, like the least amount of flavor the better um, pop off yeah yeah exactly get like the six dollar the ones that are advertised from the back of jersey transit buses <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that stuff is to, to throw some herbs into <laughs> that candles. Get, yeah. get that and then basically kind of dose back to to taste in in your keg or at the end of a beer to to the right dosage to get the exact flavor you want and that can be a pretty safe way but i am not allowed to do that on sure. a commercial scale and just as far by way of you know flavor composing flavors i have to figure out a different way to do that which is why it's easier for me to dry hop, quote unquote, dry hop, or do that kind of extraction with with made beer that that is uh, or done completely fermented beer, ter a terminal gravity um, that is generally the of the stronger stronger kind. Yeah. And the risks of doing that at the end of I never really loved doing it at flame out, but sometimes it works. But you have to be exactly right. But as far as like how much you're using, um, yeah, I've always been a fan of using the extract basically. And I can't do that. And the other thing, do you find yourself walking around the brewery like, when you wish you could, but you know, you have to, to, to go the legal route these days and just, uh, trying to contact your state legislators or the, uh, nah, the I, just, I just let like, it go. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, if it's not an option, it's not an option. And, and there are plenty of like, I don't know. There's, there's freedom within structure. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm just like, okay, well, well I can't do that. So outside of mind, you know, yeah. where, where can I go? What are the, where, are, where are the places I can go and how can I make the best beer I can with the, with the, by the means that I have. And that's something that I had to learn very dearly at, at 508 Castro Brewery. So we talked about the brew house being in 100 square feet. I had another maybe 75 to 100 square feet with the fermenters in it. That was in, inside a room with a little air conditioner that, so everything fermented at the same temperature. And I kept that room, usually at 65 degrees, thinking that the inside or the liquid temperature when fermenting would be like anywhere between 65 and, and 70. So, and I'm, I was always trying to average around 68, which is a great ale fermenting temperature yeah. for most of the things I did. When the beers were at terminal gravity there, I w they were all on casters, and I would roll them out of that room, like a full, full, and then and these down were the hall. And plastic fermenters, <laughs> yeah. too, which always just made me, like, you know, <laughs> me like, the too, beers were man. always great, but, like, me yeah. Too. Made me nervous every fucking time. But, uh, I did finally get four stainless. Yes, uh, you know towards the towards the end of that thing, um, yeah, seven plastic and four four stainless. I'd roll them out of that room to another room, which was kind of like 
I could only get it as cold as like 40 degrees. So my cold crashing was really more cool crashing. Um, but the yeast flocked when I got things out. It was just harder and longer to, to, to carbonate. I bring that up because like, you know, that freedom within structure I embraced and, and I, I kind of came to love the quirkiness of it. I mean, it was frustrating as all hell, but I also came, I, it was, I like a good challenge mm-hmm. and I, and I you know, certainly challenged that was challenging, but I, 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 I took it on and I like it. I'm glad not to have to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm glad to have full temp control. Of course. I'm remiss that in in the intro to you, I did not mention your musical background. Uh, it's something that I took for granted because I, I've, I've known you for for so long. Uh, we were old drinking buddies, I should point mm-hmm. out as well. Uh, we're old back, then, and we're still old. Know, we're yeah. still <laughs> older and have swelled a little bit more. Um, I mean, going back the better part of a decade, if if, if not more, at this point. Um, and I know you as a musician, and, and, and I think that a lot of folks in the New York City beer scene, uh, in addition to your homebrewing, like, know you as the, the guy who plays sax. And yeah. uh, you play every week at the brewery now. Uh, you have played breweries uh, around the country, around the world, certainly around the, uh, around the city. But uh, music, m- music is as much of a passion for you, it seems, as, as brewing is. Yeah. At this point, I'm not complete if I'm not doing both. Like, I don't consider myself a musician first. I don't consider myself a brewer first. I used to consider myself a musician first, full, first and foremost. But the, all the parallels and what I've kind of become is I'm definitely not one or the other, I think, at this point. And 508 was kind of where that book, that turned in, where it turned into that. When you say that they're parallels, are they in different silos or do you find that they combine in your life? No, they combine in my life for sure. The parallel I speak of is kind of like the the concept of of getting a a melody from from my head to the ether, and like getting a, a flavor from concept to glass. And uh, you know, you can't just pick up, you can't just think of a melody and pick up a saxophone and make it happen. You know, mm-hmm. you have to know that you have to know that instrument and know the elements of of how to get you know what you're imagining out there. Um, and then the other parallel is also that you know when we make a beer, there's only so much of it. It's fleeting, and uh, and your experience of that of that beer uh, depends on who you're with, who you're around, with the environment that that you're enjoying. Beer to me is very similar to 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 music, and to improvised solos. Like you know, it's only live that first time you get it. So drink it fresh, and you'll get that live experience. If you're lucky enough, it's recorded around and it's there. But a solo is a fleeting moment, and for me as a player. When I'm improvising a solo, it's it's there and gone. That and then you know, we're riding the high of that of that moment. I love that as you're talking about this, and and this is the the downside of, of audio and radio. Your your fingers were actually mimicking playing <laughs> the sax uh, as as you notice. were talking about that, yeah, uh, which is how ingrained this 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 is um, on you. I, I wonder though if I'm tr- I'm trying to think of how. How does one affect the other? Like, d- d- does beer affect the music that you play? Like, obviously, like you can think about uh, building a recipe, or you can think about improvisa- uh, imp- improvisa- uh, improvisation. I'm sorry. Um, does it go the other way around? D- does drinking a beer inspire you to come up with a new tune? Does it inspire you to play uh, something different? Like, do different beers have different moods for you? Absolutely, and so this is what I do on Wednesdays. I, uh, we have a we do a thing called beers for ears, okay. and uh, so each beer alone certainly gives me a gives me a, a flavor. Oh, sorry, I'll go I'll yeah. say what we do first. So beers for ears is basically we go down the list of every beer that I have on tap. I have different musicians that play every week, and we improvise to the beer itself. So basically, my wife Mary and our bartender Britt bring me beers, or bring a, bring the whole band two ounce pours of of, uh, of a beer, and we play music based on that beer. Is this your beer? Yeah, it's, I go down my tap list. So okay. it's quality assurance while playing every every <laughs> every Wednesday night. <laughs> the second set is completely different than the first set. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. It's a good. It's, it's, a, good. it's a good loose, hang, yeah. and, it, and it's, it is super loose, and it's, and it's really cool because like you know the different musicians interpret the the, the beer in a different way, and, and like express express themselves on it, and they're like, oh man, this one's kind of bluesy. This one's kind of, this kind of has a darker tone, or like this kind of has has like bright overtones. We'll play something major for that. It's it's. It's insane to, to and really, really inspiring to play with musicians that are that are open to this this idea and fun. And it's interactive. So we, we put a music stand in front of us, but it's not facing us. It's facing the audience. So we say now playing Neighbor Brow Pilsner, 
you know, or now playing, you know, Troublesome Jellyfish IPA. Uh, and, and so that if somebody's like feeling the groove, they can come up and be, or they can be like, oh, I want that. Whatever they're playing, I want that. And so that, it, that's pretty fun. So when I, when I have a beer alone, certainly there's certain emotions that come up with that. But like I was alluding to earlier, kind of depends on, I believe that beer is, is like music, a soundtrack to our good time. It's always worthy of the conversation, but doesn't have to be the conversation. And, uh, and as a soundtrack, it, the perception of it, is, is heavily influenced by, by your condition, the conditions with when, in which you're drinking it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even though we play some of the same beers every week, music is totally different based on how we're feeling, what, what we're, what we've drank before, who you're playing, who with. we're playing with. And, uh, and so there's that, I'm not sure how much I've answered your question, but, uh, but as far as like, yeah, the, the beer influencing the music, I experiment with that every week, uh, you know, through this beers for ears and oftentimes if I'm writing if I'm composing um, which is very infrequent I'm not the biggest composer I like I, this is what I, I live for this interaction I mean our our philosophy of Fifth Hammer also is beer is people we have that up on our board beer is people we, going on this concept like it, the beer is just one part of the beer itself is just one part of this whole thing that oh, is this, metaphorically uh, that is this not beer culture okay. it's not soiling like okay. great no <laughs> right low hanging fruit Hall does yeah. it every time yeah <laughs> Unless, until I make a beer with peas and apples, <laughs> beer won't be people. <laughs> people! <laughs> right, apple. That was a stretch. Okay. Right. <laughs> Let's have another beer. Um, <laughs> it gets funnier. Yeah. As a, yeah. um, it's like our second but, you, but you're not composing all that much. But, like, do you hear something and say, because everybody talks about pairings and, you know, food pairings are out there and, you know, cheese and all the, 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 the other uh, stuff. Um, I like this idea of music and I like things that, that sort of fit a mood. Yeah. And, have you ever had somebody else's beer and immediately just get a tune in your head because you have these two combined passions? Yes, but I can't cite any right now. Okay, in particular, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but yeah. but, but but that exists. Yeah, and then how? I mean, but like, but how do you capture that though? I or is that just it. okay? Yeah. Well, you mean how do you capture? How, how do I? How do I make another beer in, in that in that vein? Or w- would you? Or is it just? These are two re- really intimate experiences, yeah. and I'm just trying to figure out, like, is there a way of sharing that, or is there a way that people can do this themselves, and a way to I think, think people about... people can definitely do it. If you just have to, you know, it's really, like a lot of things when it comes to tasting beer, you have to trust in yourself that there is no right or wrong. It's not hard, because everybody knows music. Everybody has this language within them, and everybody has songs that they like, and, and melodies they like. It doesn't have to be, I mean... Just say, okay, the first song, what's the first song you're going to come, think about it before you take your first sip and be like, I'm going to try whatever, I'm thinking about music or I'm thinking, thinking about trying to find a song for this. You just take a sip and then first thing you think of, write it down and just see, see what it is and put it on, play it, check it out. Like, I don't know. And then think about it. Okay. That's step one is just, just doing it. I, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't do this because I'm doing it naturally. Or, I mean, I don't consciously do it um, that often, Yeah. but I do it. All of my fermenters are named after different people. And so when I'm brewing, I do, like when I'm brewing into Coltrane, I'm playing Coltrane. When I'm brewing and knocking out into, into Bird, I'm, I'm playing Bird. When I'm brewing into, into Sonny Rollins, I'm, I'm playing Sonny Rollins. And when I'm brewing into, into uh, uh, Paul Gonzalez, I'm playing Newport, live at Newport 56, Duke Ellington. <laughs> then everything goes through my bright tank, which is Dexter Gordon, of course. <laughs> Long, tall Dexter. Um. This would be a fun experiment for anybody who's listening right now. If, if you're tasting a beer and a song pops in your head, uh, take a picture of the beer and tag us on, uh, on yeah. Instagram. Let's do Instagram, right? Because you guys do that as well. Yeah. Uh, we're Craft Beer Brew on Instagram, the magazine. Uh, where can people find you? At Fifth Hammer Beer. Okay. Is at it Fifth spelled Hammer out? Beer. Yeah. F-I-F-T-H. Hammer. Hammer. Beer. beer. Or at Chris Kuzmi, either way. Okay, yeah. And I'm at Mr. John Hall, because I like to be formal on these things. But yeah, uh, tag us on Instagram of uh, if you're thinking about music and thinking about beer at the same time, because I'm curious to see where people are coming from uh, in this. And, I, you know, not you know, I hate when I say you know. You don't, you, maybe you don't know, John. I don't you know. don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> Our New, our New York Jersey area is coming out right now. Don't tell me what I know. Don't tell me what I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, you know, to this, to this regard, 
uh, we live in New York City, and there's there's a, a lot of events that happen all the time, and that are that are, and some of them, most of them, are straight ahead beer centric events. And I think that uh, you know, I think that we uh, it, we would be doing ourselves right by creating a lot more events that where we're talking about interactive. Uh, things that aren't just straight ahead beer events like you know first of all there's always the beer and food pairings but there's beer and music pairings there's beer and uh yep yeah, beer and wrestling beer, beer and beer music pairings. beer and yeah. beer beer and beer pairings beer and spirit pairings and i think that like you know as this as the scene continues to grow we would do ourselves wise to 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 share with people who don't already come to it I think that's the that's the fun thing. I don't know why I'm saying all that. Okay. I, I had a big conversation about that over the weekend because we just finished up um, a celebration of women in the industry. That's right. Uh, week and uh, Mary was a feature of that. Uh, and there were a bunch of seminars. It was a really well produced week, and it culminated in an event that so that the theme was celebrating women who have achieved in the industry, and it was one of the most interesting. Uh, beer it was festivals called Brewers I've been Without to. Beards. Beers Without Beards. Oh, beers, beers Without Beards. Beers Without Beards. Okay. Uh, and put, put on in, in conjunction with hop culture. Okay. Um, and and uh, the the festival itself was just awesome. It was like so such good energy, such good uh, celebration of women in the industry, and there was like you know the diversity of that audience and the and the, the well, they're so well behaved, <laughs> too. I uh, didn't get a lot of the regular. Uh, uh, people going to a beer fest just for the sake of drinking as much as you can within a small period of time. Like yeah. There was there was a theme that was that was really cool, and the beers that were there were delicious and awesome. So, and I think I don't know more 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 like that. The more theme events that aren't just the beer. Well, you touched on community a little bit, and I'd I'd, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Long Island City itself, mm-hmm. where it's on the other side of, so I guess if you're looking at a map of Manhattan, which uh, the center of the world for, for most people, and you're sort of looking at Midtown, and then you go east, more or less, right? You yeah, guys are right off the 59th Street Bridge. Yep, yeah. and we could take the the uh, New York Ferry, mm-hmm. New York City Ferry, straight from 34th Street, right basically to our street. But it's an area that within the last, gosh, less than a decade now, has really popped, both uh, for residential uh, space, which it, you know, was a lot of warehouses beforehand. It, yeah. it, it wasn't necessarily a desirable part of the city. And then uh, uh, switch flipped, and now uh, it's one of the hotter areas in the city. Um, and it's not just you guys, but there's several other breweries uh, all within walking distance uh, of each other. And you guys have this little brewery district uh, going on there. It's not even a little thing. It's like it's a, it's a brewery district. It's a big I, thing. I don't, I'm not dis- uh, diminishing it. Um, what's the appeal of that part of the city for you guys like wh- like why wh- why'd you go in there because you know brooklyn is still hot uh even if it's you know oversaturated uh staten island's impractical uh the bronx still seems to have not you know taken off but but brooklyn was really i think where everybody had their focus and you guys decided to go to queens and i imagine there was some reason behind that. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't necessarily a, a staunch decision that, hey, we want to go to Queens, although Mary and I have loved Queens for quite some time. You can find the entire world in Queens. Like, the, the quality of food and the authenticity and of the diversity within Queens is, like, the, it's incredible and to die for. Uh, a lot of the night markets and, and the, you know, the Chinatown of Queens, I can go on and on about the awesomeness of, of all of Queens. Queens is very, very big. LIC, Long Island City, where we are, is, very, is relatively small, but a, at Sounds like a sounds like an offshoot, but it's not. Uh, at one point, forty uh, percent of all the things that were produced in New York City uh, were produced in Long Island City, Queens. So there's a lot of spaces that lend themselves well to breweries um, at still an affordable price for that. Whereas Brooklyn has uh, has a lot of stuff was made there, and there's some warehouses there, but not everything is zoned for manufacturing. LIC still has a lot of manufacturing zoning. Um, uh, they're obviously developers are really trying to replace a lot of those manufacturing uh, buildings and warehouses into sky rises because you can see the city from there. It's really close. We love it because it's close to New York City. You're one stop away from Grand Central Station. You can take the G from Brooklyn. Like we're right, you know, we're, we're ten, five minutes from Brooklyn. Mary and I live in North Brooklyn. Yeah. And it's 10 minutes getting there. I mean, you hear the word Queens, like, oh, I can't go to Queens so far, but it's not. Well, it's, it's like, like folks right who, there. You know, say coming to Jersey. Right. You know, it's right, right. Uh, oh, Jersey's oh my God, I got to exactly. cross a river. Yeah. Yeah. But 
to be to be fair and entirely honest, we did have seven leases that fell through, some of them in Brooklyn, um, over the course of a year and a half trying to find what would be right for us. And I am so glad that they fell through because the prices that they were asking in, in Brooklyn were, 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 were more than, than made sense for our model. Um, and uh, we're finding a lot of success here because there wasn't, even though there's five other breweries, actually maybe in part because there's five other breweries, we're, we're, we're be doing great and successful. Like we're able to celebrate it as a brewing community. There's five others, uh, Transmitter, Rockaway Brewing Company, Big Alice, um, LIC Beer Project, uh, and Alewife Brewing Company just opened an iconic uh, NYC is opening up a couple blocks from our, our place as well. And we're excited about all of that. And each one has its own special room or special vibe to it, like a unique uh, experience. And Yeah, there's a great feature on uh, beerandbrewing.com on visiting Queens Breweries, and I encourage everybody to go check that out. But you, you, you brought up this interesting thing of um, you sort of hinted at, uh, at, at, at budgets and logistics and, yeah. uh, and, and all of that. There, there's a huge difference between no matter what size you are, uh, brewing in a congested, uh, populous metropolitan area versus, you know, setting up in you know Milton, Delaware, or setting mm-hmm. up, you know, even in you know the Pine Barrens in Jersey, or uh, even upstate New York, where where, where there's a lot more room. Um, there's also a great appeal uh, of being in, in in one of these 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 populous uh, centers uh, where you have foot traffic and you have people who live uh, within walking distance. You know, people don't necessarily have to, to, to get in a car. Uh, I love that on your cans. I, I just opened up a, a, a can of your Pilsner here uh, where it has a city grid map on it and all of the nearby subways For as well. Like place, it is yeah. so, if we're it's putting a can so out, New York. Let it get people there. Right. You Those know, I mean, like, we're, we're going to be drinking these on the subway anyway. So. <laughs> Uh, we might as well know where to where to get off and, 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 and get them. But you visit a lot of breweries. You talk to you talk to a lot of breweries. I mean, wh- what's the what's the great frustration for you brewing in a city um, when you go out to 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 a brewery in, in, in a less populated area where you say, God, I wish we could we could have this. You know, I, w- yeah, yeah, I think it. I mean, it always comes down to space. I mean, even though our our space might be slightly larger than some of the smaller breweries in, in New York City, we're also smaller than some of the larger breweries in New York City. But we're definitely way smaller than most of the breweries across America. Uh, you know that that have more that that have sustainable models like uh, to space is costs a premium here in New York yeah. City. And that's I think that's why we haven't seen a whole lot of breweries in the city for a very long time until the Craft Act was passed to be able to, to let us serve beer by the glass and therefore make the margins by direct consumer sales that can help pay for you know that, that square foot of, of space used. But does it put a governor on you in that this is probably as big as you're going to be able to get, at least in this current model? You know? Yeah. I mean, without you know a huge windfall of cash where you can go and knock down the building next door or blow right. out a wall into the right. building or start renting I mean thankfully for us our landlord also owns the building next door and he's got a he's cool he's doing his own business out of there but doesn't need all the room so yeah. I think it, at the very least we're going to start bleeding in there with some storage but not things. everybody has not, that opportunity right. not, yeah most people do not so and you have so, to say to yourself though if you're opening up in the city okay we could probably max out at you know X barrel capacity sure. yeah and then you know there's a finite growth thing and you, even then you want to kind of go slowly into that to make yeah. sure that you're not expanding too fast and would you think about another half model they just announced that they're going up to Rochester and uh, they're, they're going upstate and I'm not sure and most of that's because I mean, I'm not in brewing for the money, and I don't need to be making a lot of beer. I'm, I'm, I, for me, it's a lifestyle choice. Like I really love brewing, and yeah. I love the uh, celebrating in house and, and making making music in the house. And like I don't want to be too big, and I don't I don't necessarily. I've worked at big breweries, like between 508 and here. I had, I had some stints at some larger things, and uh, I, you know, I don't. I, I really this like. Is not I, for you. I like it small. No, well, not. I, I don't see it as a necessary thing for me it's not a goal I, I it's, feel not, like, it's not a black I feel like that's thing. yeah I feel like that's going to happen accidentally maybe like I think that we're going to I'm not going to be opposed to it I mean I like money too I guess <laughs> except there's no money there's no I mean you get bigger then you get more staff and then you get this and then you create 
a, a place where you have to be selling a lot of freaking beer in order to support the lives that you're now supporting yeah. as, as a business owner. And, and I want to keep it as small as possible and make, make as long as I'm able to make a diverse range of beers and have that supported, that's really what I want to do because I'm addicted to this, this creativity and perpetuity thing. I, I'm, I'm still a home brewer at heart. I'm like, oh, what flavor can I do now? That's what I want to do. I just want to, I want the opportunity to keep doing that. And I don't want to fall into like a production thing where I'm meeting the, the demands just, uh, and uh, listen, the consumer is obviously, you know, my, I do, I do it for you, but I also do it for me. <laughs> like, to, to, to that point, I, I wanted to get back to mentioning that you guys have a Brute IPA on tap right yeah. now, which is a, a style that I've written about uh, in the magazine. Uh, it's up on, online if people want to see it. Uh, it's come out of uh, the um, uh, out of the West Coast. We're seeing it pop up over, around uh, the country. I haven't seen too much of it around here uh, so far. I'm, I'm going to hazard a guess in saying that you're one of the first because it's still a, a, a pretty new style. Yeah. Um, one, how did you approach it? Um, but before that, like, what what appealed you to, you know, what appeals to you with this style? I want to let no style go untouched and unconquered by my brewing skills. Like, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not inspired by, by the brewing. Like, I, I Part, partly that personal challenge. I like sure. challenging myself, and and it's a beer that I'd never tasted before. I mean, I haven't tasted anybody's except mine, so I don't even know if I really hit the mark. And it, for my own personal, we'll get to that part. But um, I'm a I, so the brute style is a response from California to our our New England hazy IPAs, and they wanted to make a basically New England style or the flavors of New England of the New England style that really fruit forward kind of kind of like hopping at those at the same kind of hopping rates that you do with that but have it be super dry clear with a champagne like carbonation is from what I understand it the gist of it and all this and all of this more or less uh, so and uh I mean, I wrote the story on it, so you, you, yeah. you all can go and read it online. But yeah, <laughs> sure. Like, yeah, we'll that's, take your version I, for right so now. So this is what I intended. I mean, yeah. I, you know, no, I it, was, it was yours, an experiment, uh, you know, experiment with um, with this enzyme that uh, that dries everything out that yes. uh, that they're using in a you know, big boozy stouts. And yeah, and what could this do for an, yeah? What yeah. could this do for an IPA? Is essentially the thought behind it. Okay, uh, I, I don't know if an, it was. I read a different article, perhaps not as thorough as yours, okay. but it was like in addition to they use this to do that, and it's kind of their response with this with this thing. I don't and know if everything has to be like a fight between. Well, you know, I agree. And that. I like thought a, it was a practical joke, I, I, honestly. I, I from thought California. I thought we were done with the whole <laughs> East Coast West Coast thing, but either way, that's uh, all right. But please continue. I, I'm not doing this with any sort no, of animosity against yeah. the West Coast. I was born there. <laughs> well, not born there, raised there. Yeah. A little bit. Um, anyway, so when I when I approached this beer, something I've never tasted before, um, that was my understanding of it, or kind of like is, I was thinking from a flavor profile, wherever it was coming coming from. You want a dry beer, you want the fruitiness of a New England IPA, and but and you want a champagne like carbonation, and the clearer the better, just because. Yeah. Uh, but Kim at Social Kitchen told full, me that like he reason. wanted an SRM lower than two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but I used a, I used a little bit of a you know uh, a wheat in there and and uh, and a little bit of oats. I kind of had the grist bill sort of like my my mm-hmm. New England IPA, uh, just with less oats and wheat, and the rest all pilsner uh, to be a really light SRM. Um, and then I my first hopping was after flame out, whirlpooled at 165 degrees was the first that first time it saw hops. So you get that fruitiness first. Uh, and I used the I used the enzyme in the mash because what I was reading about the enzyme is that you know if it sticks around in your fermenter, your next ferment could actually be hit with that. Yeah. Uh, but if your cleaning practices are fine, and I am pretty damn clean, I think. You'd hope so. um, anyway, yeah. wh- while I was brewing it, I got I got nervous and I kind of backtracked and I used it only in my mash and not in the fermenter. I did throw a little bit into uh, while I was transferring. I threw some into my boil kettle, um, but my terminal gravity was really just over one. Whereas some pe- some people use it and it and it can get down like really to zero by one I mean one Plato yeah some people use it and it, it can get lower than that like down to z- zero or even even just below. Um, when I was thinking about it flavor wise, uh, which I know I keep saying that, so it sounds like I'm saying, but I was thinking about flavor wise. No, uh, I was con- uh, conceptualizing a a champagne with with a dollop of fruit in it. Or like with a strawberry in it, or okay. like with a melon, or something like that. So I kind of wanted that that kind of like not that really really dry thing, but something that was effervescent and kind of. I think we achieved that. I think I would have put uh, this. T- I w- I'm going to do it again. 
I'm probably going to put the amylo in in the fermenter. I was going to ask. Okay. Next yeah. time and go a little bit drier. You're going to try the fermenter. Yeah. Okay. I might do both. All right. Because I, I again, if you go, this will be the second to last uh, shameless plug for the magazine. There 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 are two recipes up on beerandbrewing.com that folks can uh, try to mimic. Uh, one from Verboten, which is in Colorado, and the other from uh, Kim at Social Kitchen, who is credited with uh, inventing with first, this yeah. style. Uh, as as it were, um, and they talk about both uh, both in the fermenter, but also in the uh, in the mash the as mash. well. And uh, everybody, I think, is experimenting right now. And I think yeah. that that's sort of the cool thing, like because maybe a, even a gradual add uh, or at different steps could yeah. provide different results. And that's that's kind of one of the cool things right now is all of the pro brewers who are doing this right now. There is no real clear roadmap because even the guy who is who is driving the truck uh, uh, into the into the white space uh, still doesn't know where it's going to go and is yeah. sometimes backing up and, and, and going from there. Um, I, I, I've been asking folks, and as we start to wrap up uh, right now, I, I wanted to ask you, what's your hope for beer? My hope is that there's a that there's a that people stop saying they don't like beer. Where where not where it's known that there's a there's where it's just naturally accepted that there's a diversity of flavor and style and carbonation level. Oh, I don't like bubbles. Well, actually, not all. You know, there's some still some more still beers. If you really don't like any bubbles, then maybe you'll never find a beer. But other than that, flavor wise, it is so diverse that I think there. I do believe there's a beer for everybody, and I I still I get severely annoyed with people saying I don't like beer. I don't think that's true. I think they just don't haven't found the right one yet. Uh, and you know, my saxophone teacher used to tell me this. He's like, my job is to become as useless as possible as soon as possible, to the point where you know, basically, like I'm teaching myself, or I'm able to do it and stuff. And so I hope that you know our our outreach, you know, that we become as useless as possible as as soon as possible, so that everybody just knows and accepts that there's there's good beer and they can find and navigate the stuff on their own. That's my hope. Um, from a publicity and standpoint and all that I don't really know we just I, I just want it to be I want people's creativity to be supported and nobody to feel like they have to brew something um, if they don't like making it or if they don't like drinking it only brew what you like like to drink noted musician Chris Kuzma <laughs> the uh, founder and brewer at Fifth Hammer Brewing Company Long Island City Queens New York please go visit him next time you're visiting find me our great area it's not hard to find you right if, uh, give, give yourself the, the shameless plug for I often have a shirt with my name you on do. it you do I know and, and <laughs> I'm kind today. of disappointed I'm sorry yeah. I don't have it today uh, thanks for crossing two rivers coming to Jersey City sitting at, uh, at my kitchen table with uh, all the construction outside and the the various interruptions. Uh, this is this is how good conversations happen. So I appreciate you, you, you making that happen. Uh, if people want to find you on the internet, you can go to fifthhammerbrewing.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. Actually, we hardly ever Twitter. Instagram, Fifth Hammer Beer. Fifth Hammer Beer. For the magazine, uh, please check us out at beerandbrewing.com. There you can find uh, articles on how to become a better home brewer and find out what's happening uh, with your favorite breweries. Uh, you can also subscribe to the magazine, which I hope you will do. You can reach me on Twitter uh, if you want to join the conversation at John underscore Hall. That's H-O-L-L. Or on Instagram at Mr. John Hall, again, H-O-L-L. Uh, guests you want to hear, uh, topics you want to hear addressed, uh, or just general comments, you can reach me at Hall at beerandbrewing.com. And again, uh, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate uh, everybody who tunes in week after week, and especially uh, our guests who sit down and share their knowledge with us. So, Chris, thanks again. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Cheers. Remember, inebriation is not a destination point. It's a perk for those with good taste. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.com.